This week on Blue 58, football season is finally here. That means it's time to make some predictions. We'll tell you how many quarterbacks the Packers are going to keep, why an unpopular outside linebacker is going to stick around, and what the Packers' record is going to be when everything is all said and done. Plus, could the Packers actually trade for Julio Jones? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to episode 91 of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of ThePowerSweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink. Excited to be with you here on the eve of the 2018 Green Bay Packers season. Yes, we have made it through the long dark of the offseason. Now we just have to suffer through, what is it, six weeks of preseason takes about how a guy looks good when he's not even playing in pads and what the battle between like the eighth and ninth offensive lineman is actually shaping up to be exciting times. And I do mean that in all sincerity. This, to me, is one of the most interesting times of the year because this is when the team is made. Once you get to September, it's pretty much set. Uh, There aren't a lot of wholesale changes to a team that you can really make. So once you've got that team, you're riding with those guys until you either win the Super Bowl or are eliminated from playoff contention. That's how it works in the NFL, and that's the going to be the situation for the Packers here in just a little bit. So this team that they are putting together over the next days and weeks, and I guess more than a month, is going to be a group of guys that we're going to get very familiar with over the next few months. So this time of the year is very, very important, and it should be taken pretty seriously. I get a little bit tired of beat writers and the media types who have to cover practice every day, hemming and hawing about how it's, oh, it's boring. It's not really interesting to be out at practice. A lot of people would you know, beg to differ. A lot of people would, you know, give an arm and or a leg to be in their position. Uh, One anecdote in particular sticks out (laughs) from about like 2011. Peter King was on his annual tour of NFL training camps. He went to something like 25 NFL training camps in two and a half weeks or something like that. So a fairly grueling schedule, but for all intents and purposes, it was a fantastic vacation. He got to see a lot of different things in a short amount of time. Sure, it's work, but as far as work goes, you know, riding around on a charter bus, you know, with a hefty per diem, watching football in a different city every day, you could do worse. Um, So I I hope you will join me in solidarity in chiding the beat writers who complain about this particular time of the year, because I think it is it is interesting and and just suck it up. This is kind of part of the job. So it, it can be long, but we'll get through it together. And plus, we have some actual things to talk about uh, from from here on out. So it's very exciting to be here. I'm very excited. I think this is an exciting team, and there are a lot of different storylines that we are going to be able to follow this year. One that we have to start with, though, for this week is one that doesn't necessarily impact the Packers, at least not right now. Julio Jones is not recording reporting to training camp in Atlanta. He is dissatisfied with his contract. And though the Falcons have given no indication that this is the case, some people have speculated that, you know, if the price was right, Julio Jones may be available for trade. And of course, the Packers could, in theory, use another wide receiver. So they are, at least hypothetically, linked. First, everyone is always available for trade. There is no such thing as a guy who is not available for trade outside of a couple guys in the league. If the offer was right, any player could be had in trade. Right? Let's just think about it. Anytime you see like one of those headlines that 
so-and-so is being made available for trade, all that really means is um, a team is just trying to raise a little bit of awareness about a guy that they would like to get rid of, or it's about a guy they're going to cut eventually anyway. Some receiver for the Patriots is is getting that treatment right now. The Patriots have said they would be interested in hearing trade offers for this guy. And at this point in the season, that's code for if you would like to make sure you're the one who gets him, you can trade for him right now. Otherwise, just take your chances in a couple days because we're going to cut him. That is what's going to happen. No one's going to trade for this guy anyway. So that caveat said, would it be possible to get Julio Jones in a trade? Assuming the Packers are interested I think it is possible. I'm not sure the Packers could pull it off. When you're looking at trades like this, it's always helpful to look at precedent. And there's a couple recent precedents that we need to look at. Two of them, I guess three three trades overall, we really need to look at here. Brandon Cooks has now been traded twice. Gosh, has it been two off-seasons in a row or did he play two years with the Patriots? doesn't really matter. He's been traded twice now in his relatively short NFL career for a first-round pick both times. I think that is a fair going rate for a receiver that can change your offense in a significant way. What I mean by that is they add some sort of different dimension that you didn't have before to your offense. And Cooks is that kind of guy. He has rare speed. He gets deep very well. And uh, that is how both the, the Saints, the Patriots, and now I would presume the Rams hope to use him. Um, Julio Jones is in that category. He is a a player who can change your offense in significant ways. The Packers offense with Julio Jones would, or anybody's for that matter, would be extremely different the day after they acquired Julio Jones than it was the day before. I don't think that needs a tremendous amount of explanation. So the baseline is going to be at least a first round pick. But it doesn't stop there. Because I think to really look at what it takes to get a superstar wide receiver in trade, we've got to go back to the Randy Moss trade. You could probably lump Terrell Owens in there a little bit too, just with the weirdness that ended up with him in Baltimore, or not in Baltimore, sorry, in Philadelphia. He was in Baltimore for just a little bit. The Ravens thought that they had him, but paperwork, blah, blah, blah. Drew Rosenhaus got his way, or whoever his agent was at the time. That was a whole different Travis Shamakri. Anyway, the Randy Moss trade, 2005, Moss went from the Minnesota Vikings to the Oakland Raiders for Napoleon Harris, a linebacker, the Raiders' first and seventh overall, or seventh round picks in the draft, their first pick and their seventh pick. Their first pick, this is key, was seventh overall, or ended up being seventh overall. I guess it was at that point if they traded in March, they already knew what the draft order would be. So seventh overall pick is key because as you start doing the math on whether or not the Packers could offer a first round pick, that pick is diminished a little bit because we don't know exactly what the value of that pick is going to be. So as you start looking at potential packages for Julio Jones, that first round pick is going to be on the table, that extra pick that they have from the Saints. But not only because of Julio Jones' stature, but because of the unknown quantity surrounding that first-round pick, the Packers are obviously going to have to sweeten the pot a little bit. Using that Raiders trade, that Moss trade, as a prototype, what could the Packers reasonably offer for Julio Jones? What do the Packers have that the Falcons would actually want? 
And that's where I run into problems as I'm exploring this. I don't see anything that the Packers have that the Falcons would be like, yeah, that's a good addition to our team. Uh, look at what the Packers have uh, that, the, that the Falcons wouldn't already have. They, you, you'd start with things like defensive backs and pass rushers because every team can use more of those. Um, so there aren't a whole lot of proven defensive backs on the Packers roster. The closest tradable piece would probably be someone like Kevin King, quite honestly. Uh, the Packers really don't know what they have in, in, in him. And outside of his physical attributes, I'm not sure the Falcons really do either. Interestingly enough, uh, Kevin King's first extended action with the Packers was against Julio Jones and the Falcons last season. Um, and he played pretty well in that particular game. But Kevin King would be the sort of caliber of player the Packers would probably have to be willing to give up. Pass rushers, I don't really see anybody there. Uh, If Vince Beagle was a little bit more developed, maybe somebody like that. But you're probably looking for guys that are on their rookie contract because the Falcons are not super willing to take on a whole lot of additional expense. If they were, they probably would have just redone Julio Jones' deal to begin with. Um, Then you start thinking about offensive linemen. Um, If they were really desperate, a guy like Corey Lindsley, but I'm not sure that that the Falcons are super interested in that. They've got a pretty decent center already. Uh, And from then on, it's just a question of whether or not the Packers have guys that would be really of interest to the Falcons. So then you start having to, to drill down into offering multiple picks. And I don't think the Packers want to do that because Brian Gutekunst is a Ted Thompson disciple and he's always going to want to build through the draft. So all that to say, a highly unlikely hypothetical scenario is in fact highly unlikely. I don't think I would waste a whole lot of time other than the, what is it, almost 10 minutes that I've spent talking about this situation already. But uh, I think it is informative and instructive to talk about these things in a systematic sort of way. So there you go. There is the reason that the Packers will probably not be trading for Julio Jones. In short, just a little too expensive. Let's do some predictions for the 2018 season. Historically, for the life of my, I guess, Packers writing career, I have been reluctant to do predictions. Because I think in sports media, sports media is a prediction-driven um, sort of world. A lot of people do predictions. It's a good way to generate clicks and headlines and TV time, talk radio time, stuff like that. But the sports media world is not real good at following up on predictions. And frankly, when you're doing something such as this on your own, or largely on your own, it can be difficult to keep track of those predictions. So if you're not wanting to go out on a limb a whole lot, or you're just not interested in in tracking down all of your own predictions, it can be advantageous to just stick all of your prediction-related takes into one convenient holding space. Say, for instance, a podcast such as this. All of the predictions for the 2018 season, all of the meaningful ones, right here in one podcast. Then at some point in next offseason, we can come back and revisit these predictions. You know, assuming that we are not, you know, taken over by some alien force between now and then. 
actual aliens, space aliens. Maybe those aliens, though, would be extremely interested in NFL takes. At which point, I think me and you and everyone else who follows the Power Sweep would be in pretty good shape because we would have some high-quality takes to sell. Keep that in mind, I guess. Predictions. Three different kinds of predictions. Uh, We're going to do player predictions, predictions about specific players, stats, uh, predictions we can tie to specific numbers, and outcomes. I have 11 total predictions for you here, four of the player variety, five of the stat variety, and two outcome-related predictions. Let's go one by one here. First and foremost, I think it's still a good bet that Aaron Rodgers will have a contract extension done by the end of training camp. Yes, I too have read that Andrew Brandt article about how maybe it's not in either Rodgers or the Packers' best interest to get this thing done right now. I am unconvinced. I think just for both sides' sake, getting it out of the way, figuring out a way to get it done now, is in their best interest. It's not in the Packers' best interest to string Rodgers along for at least a year, maybe two more years, maybe four more years if you get into franchise tag territory while they try to get this deal done. I just don't think that's a good use of anybody's time or resources. Yes, it's probably going to take some creative manipulation beyond just the raw numbers of the deal, tying his compensation to factors that are not commonly tied to compensation, such as the overall you know, profits of the franchise or something like that. I don't know what the answer is, but I do think it's going to get done and it's going to get done by the end of training camp. There, that wasn't so bad. One prediction nailed down. Next. Second quarterback related prediction. And I talked about this a little bit, I think a couple of weeks ago, maybe it was in our one of our QB week posts. Uh, but I think both Deshaun Kaiser and Brett Hundley are going to end up on the Packers final 53 man roster. I don't think this is an ideal situation. A third quarterback is what I have called in the past an extravagant luxury for an NFL team. Uh, If you have enough, if your other roster spots, other position groups are nailed down enough that you can devote a third position to a quarterback, man, you are in either really, really good shape or really, really bad shape. The Packers, I'm not sure, are would prefer... The, well, actually, I, let me rephrase that. I am quite sure that the Packers would rather not carry three quarterbacks if they don't have to. I'm sure, I'm convinced that Brian Gutekunst would rather use that spot that he would spend on a third quarterback on another lineman, offensive or defensive, or defensive back, or edge rusher, or almost literally anything else. There's really just no reason to keep three quarterbacks if you can avoid it. Because frankly, as we saw last year, uh, if you get to your number two quarterback for any extended period of time, you're pretty much screwed. And please spare me the references to the Philadelphia Eagles. You know the situation with Nick Foles last year was an outlier. You know that is not something that you could expect as a typical result as well as I do. That is the outlier If your starting quarterback goes down just due to the lack of overall quarterback talent in this league, you're going to have a bad time. 
I don't think that's the reason the Packers will keep three quarterbacks, though. I think they are still convinced they might be able to get something, something in terms of trade. Maybe sometime between now and the end of training camp, somebody gets hurt. Maybe Brett Hundley is having a really solid camp and his stock goes up a little bit and the Packers can get something for him. I think that would be preferable for them. They're not going to cut Deshaun Kaiser, though. Uh, I think Kaiser is all but guaranteed a roster spot just because of the expense the Packers went through or shelled out to get him. So I don't think Kaiser is leaving, and I do think the Packers are going to finish camp with three quarterbacks. Sticking with player-related predictions, Kyler Fackrell is going to make the Packers this year. It's time to start getting used to that idea because I don't think there's any way that the Packers have enough edge-rushing talent to cut a guy who has at times been very okay. I think that's charitable enough. Uh, At times, Kyler Fackrell has been okay. Not great, not even good. I would settle on okay for Kyler Fackrell. The plain fact of the Packers roster right now is they do not have an abundance of outside linebacker slash edge rusher talent. They need everybody they can possibly get. And Fackrell, for all his weaknesses, his literal weakness as a player being one of those weaknesses, does have some pass rush ability. I don't think the Packers can afford to get rid of that, especially with so few proven pass rushers on the roster right now. That outside linebacker, edge rusher group is a mess. Well, it's not so much of a mess. It's just a very bare cupboard right now. You've got Nick Perry and Clay Matthews and uh, nothing else as in terms of actual proven ability. Vince Beagle, Reggie Gilbert, Kyler Fackrell, Chris Odom, and a whole bunch of nothing else. That's not great. And if you're telling me Kyler Fackrell can't beat out Chris Odom and a slew of undrafted free agents, bother keeping anyone around. Uh, I mean, if you if you want to keep a bunch of guys who can barely beat out Kyler Fackrell, I think that just says a lot about the state of your roster to begin with. Along those lines, my final player-related prediction is that it's going to be a down year for undrafted free agents. I just, looking at this roster, I don't see a lot of opportunities for undrafted free agents to really make an impact here. Got a couple groups where it might be able to happen, but other than that, the Packers are pretty much set. Uh, Quarterback, nope, Tim Boyle's not making the roster. Running back, nope, Joel Buanyo, I learned how to say his name, is not making the roster. Uh, Fullback, I guess you have Joe Carriage there, but he's hardly an undrafted free agent anymore. Uh, Wide receiver, you've got the the guy they signed his name today, Adonis, whatever. He's Greg Jennings' cousin, I believe, or nephew or family member of some kind. Nope, he's not making the roster. Jake Kumro, sorry, not going to happen. Michael Clark might have the best shot out of anybody, and I still am not convinced that he knows the names of all the positions on a football team. Tight end might be a place where you could really legitimately see an undrafted guy make a push. Offensive line, defensive line maybe, but it's a long shot. Linebacker, not really. They don't need a lot of them. Outside linebacker, maybe, but they're not that great there to begin with. Cornerback, almost certainly not. It's all going to be taken up by draft picks and guys who have been here for a while. Safety, pretty much the same place or same sort of situation. So undrafted free agents, 
sorry, there's not a lot of room for you on the Packers this year. I know they've been kind to him in the past, but uh, it's not going to happen. Practice squad, maybe, but I don't think on the 53-man roster we're going to see a lot of undrafted free agents. Stat predictions. I think we're going to see 40-plus TDs from Aaron Rodgers this year, assuming he stays healthy for the entire season. And I should add the caveat that almost all of the the predictions from here on out are contingent on Aaron Rodgers staying healthy. When you talk about numbers and particularly offensive stats and outcomes for the team, it, it does hinge on Aaron Rodgers. Related to this, circle back to the 40-plus TD argument. We need to talk about something in NFL media. Uh, I have seen this take increasingly frequently over the past two years, but we need to stop as a culture of sports people saying that the Packers would be nothing without Aaron Rodgers and then sitting back and acting like you have accomplished something as an analyst. No kidding, dude. If the Packers lost their best player, they wouldn't be as good. Wow. Did you, what, how much time did you spend coming up with that one? I read an almost, I bet it was twelve to 1,500 word piece on Yahoo Sports about how the Packers are nothing without Aaron Rodgers. Well, yeah, obviously. And we, we, we talk about this like it's some sort of serious take. But when Aaron Rodgers goes down, that's not a true evaluation of where the Packers are as a team. If Aaron Rodgers, if you took him off this team right now, if he had never existed, they would have spent all the resources that they, they've devoted towards building the team around Aaron Rodgers to building the team a different way. The Packers would be literally a completely different team without Aaron Rodgers. You can't just say that the Packers are worse off or nothing without Aaron Rodgers and think that's a serious take. It, it just doesn't work that way. Resource allocation doesn't work that way. It wouldn't be like the Packers would have just done everything else the same if they hadn't had Aaron Rodgers. Of course, things would be different. Duh. Okay. It's probably not a completely nuanced version of that take that I wanted to get out there, but it's been bothering me for a while. 40-plus touchdowns for Aaron Rodgers. He's done this twice in his career. He did it in um, his MVP season in 2011. He's threw 45 touchdowns, and then he did it in 2016. He threw 40 touchdowns. He probably would have done it again in 2014 had he not uh, been banged up a little bit and, you know, tailed off a little statistically in the second half of the season, at least from a volume standpoint. But I think 40 touchdowns is a pretty good mark for Rodgers. I think uh, they're on a pretty decent pace last year. Um, I think two and a half a game, which which is what it would take for him to get there, is doable. And I think the Packers' offense is just going to tilt a little bit more still towards pass-heavy play this year. Um, I think 40, 40 touchdowns is doable. Related to that, staying on offense, I don't think the Packers are going to have any 1,000-yard rushers this year. That's not an indictment of the talent that the Packers have at running back or even throughout their running game in general I think their offensive line enough or offensive line and players are good enough that they could get to a guy to a thousand if they wanted to I just don't think the running back group is built in such a way that a a single guy is going to get and carries to get to a thousand yards and just think about how many yards you have to produce every game to get to a thousand a thousand yards is 62 yards per game plus or minus I think a fraction or so that's a lot of yards. If you average four yards per carry, that's 15 carries, 
16 carries, almost 15 and change per game to get to 62 yards. That's a lot. You have to be touching the ball a fair amount to get to 62 yards a game and thus to 1,000. The best candidate might have been Aaron Jones just because he tends to rip off bigger chunks of yardage than does Jamal Williams. But Aaron Jones is going to have to do his 1,000-yard campaign in 14 games as opposed to 16 games for reasons that are stupid and I talked about in a previous podcast. I just don't think he's going to get to 1,000 yards this year. I saw one person talking about Aaron Jones getting to 1,200 yards this year. I won't name names, but they were a relatively respectable Packers writer. I just think that's... Uh, ignores a whole lot of other factors. Maybe yards from scrimmage, he could get to 1,200, and maybe I'm misquoting that person, but I don't think Aaron Jones is is going to get there or anyone else on the Packers roster. Switching to defense, I've got three stat-related predictions here. We need to keep moving here because we're running out of time already. Ooh, almost 25 minutes on the podcast already. Uh, I don't think on defense anybody is going to get to as an individual, but I think there could be as many as three guys with six or more sacks this year. I think if you look at Mike Pettin's defenses in the past, he has not tended to rely just on one guy to get a lot of sacks, though single guys have gotten a fair amount of sacks in the past for Pettin, but uh, he produces pressure from a variety of areas, and I think it is in the Packers' best interests if that works out this way this season. I would love to see three, maybe even four guys get to that six-sack plateau, because if you start multiplying it out, that is a pretty effective pass rush as a whole. So I would love to see those numbers um, from the Packers pass rush this year. Uh, Similarly to that, I don't think any one player on the Packers is going to have more than four interceptions this season. I don't think you have any one sort of ball hawking guy on defense. Gone are the the days of uh, Charles Woodson getting seven, eight picks in a season. Uh, I wish... Nick Collins was still in the league. That makes me sad just thinking about it. Uh, But I don't think there's one guy who's going to be great at getting his hands on the ball this year. But if they had, again, two or three guys who who could get two or three interceptions this year, that would be great. But I'm just, I'm not convinced it's going to happen, especially among the younger guys. It's just so difficult for young corners to figure out how to play in the NFL. And uh, I'm just not convinced that the Packers have anybody who can get there. Finally, this is not a traditional box score stat, but I think by the end of the season, Oren Burks is going to have logged more snaps at linebacker than Jake Ryan. I just think that the way the Packers defense has been going and the way the league is going, you are more and more incentivized to play guys with speed and athleticism. And if you're comparing speed and athleticism, uh, Oren Burks is going to destroy... Jake Ryan just about every time. A converted safety, just a little bit lot more agile. Uh, I think Oren Burks outpaces him this year. I think he is going to play a fairly substantial role in the Packers' defense this year, being kind of the supersized, super skilled, maybe, is that the right way of saying that, version of Joe Thomas uh, over the past couple of seasons. So those are my stat-related predictions. Outcomes. Of course, it's all about outcomes. If you can't win games, nothing good happens for you. Bold takes there from John. Outcomes. Uh, I think the Packers record this year, I'm not going to put a specific number on it, but I'm feeling something between 10 and 6 and 12 and 4. 
Um, I think if you look at their roster, they've got an absolutely brutal stretch there towards the middle of the season. They've got a, a lot of road games. They've got to play at Seattle on short rest in there. I think they could lose a couple games during that stretch. You figure if things go well, probably a split with the Vikings this year. I would love to see them win both games, but I think the Vikings are just a solid enough team that the Packers are going to have a hard time getting that done. But we'll see. Who knows what could happen? They also have to play the Rams this year on, I think, on the road. Um, or is it at home? They have to play the Rams here. Uh, the Rams either way, and the Rams are going to be tough this year. It's just going to be a tough... No, yeah, it is at Los Angeles this year. Uh, week 8, in fact, right after the bye. So a little bit of a benefit there, but it, it's just it's a tough schedule. Um, and I know that's that's a weird thing to say, as I have railed against many, many times. Before training camp even starts, things are so in flux. But I think it, if things don't go well, 10-6 and six could be a, a pretty good record. Uh, Mike McCarthy always wants to get to 10 wins, so 10-6 and six isn't the end of the world either. But uh, 10-6 and six on the low end, 12-4 and four on the high end is, I think, a pretty reasonable bracket to put the Packers in. What does that mean, though? Um, in a practical sense, I think it does mean that they are going to get to the playoffs, but I don't think the Packers are going to win the NFC North this year. It's going to be an extremely, extremely competitive division. And I think the, the Vikings are just a, a deeper team right now. So as a whole on the season, I think the Vikings have a pretty good chance to finish with a better record than the Packers. But in one single game, say in the playoffs, anything goes, especially when you have Aaron Rodgers on your side. I mean, just look two years ago in 2016, the Packers got beat up pretty good early in the season at Minnesota by the Vikings defense. But when they played the Vikings at the end of the season, got them at home, Aaron Rodgers and Jordy Nelson took them apart. It was night and day difference. Um, I think there is a, when you when you rely so much on defense as the Vikings do, you can see a lot of high variance in your outcomes. Uh, one, reason, one week you're beating up on the Saints and getting that last second victory there. The next week you have a, offense that has your number and you get, you know, the football crammed down your throat. Um, I think that could be a, a situation where the Packers do have an advantage over the Vikings in a single game situation as in the playoffs. But with the situation I have raised, there is a, something we need to talk about where <laughs> there's a very real possibility if the Packers make the playoffs, but don't win the NFC North, they could conceivably end their season with a loss to the Vikings in Minnesota. Which is not the worst thing that I can imagine. I get grossed out just thinking about it. How's that for a note to end on? I think it's possible, uh, but I do think, like I said, the Packers probably aren't going to win the NFC North. Well, maybe not probably, but likely perhaps won't win the NFC North this year. Will make the playoffs. They will, as a whole, have a better outcome for their season than they did last year. Now, we should probably at some point, though I did do an entire episode on this at some point in the offseason, I forget exactly which number this is, what exactly the implications of a particular outcome would have on the career of one Mike McCarthy, but that, I think, is a conversation for a different day. I think if the Packers don't 
make a deep playoff run, Mike McCarthy is in trouble. But again, that's a conversation for another time. While I've got you here, I would like to dive back into our uh, semi-regular series uh, talking about former Packers players. And since we are talking about training camp this week, we should bring up the name of one Shaky Smithson. Do you remember Shaky Smithson? He was with the Packers for two training camps in 2011 and 2012. War number nine played his college football at Utah. Shaky Smithson is interesting to me for a couple reasons. First, he played parts of five seasons with five, four different professional football teams in three different leagues, and yet somehow never played a regular season game. He was with the Packers, as I said, in 2011 and 2012. Spent a bit of time with the Calgary Stampeders in 2013. Signed with the New Orleans Voodoo, an arena football team, in 2015. And then spent just a little bit of time with the Ottawa Red Blacks in 2017. A long career, I think you could call it, for a guy who never really caught on with any one team. That is just one interesting thing about Shaky Smithson, but another interesting thing that you should know about him is he legally adopted his own brother when he was 21 years old, still in college and living off his scholarship money and some residuals from an HBO documentary that he appeared in while he was in college. Smithson grew up in Baltimore in a pretty rough situation, and he ended up in in an HBO show kind of documenting that and got paid a little bit of money as a result of his appearance in that show. He supported himself and his brother until his brother was old enough to make it on his own. His brother actually ended up making it as a college football player and then making it to the NFL for two games last season with the Washington Redskins. You can look him up now as Fish Smithson. His real first name is Anthony, Anthony Smithson. He's known on Pro Football Reference as Fish, though. And I think that's just an incredible story of sacrifice. There's a pretty good chance that Shaky Smithson gave up what could have been his best shot at the NFL to take care of his brother, to do the right thing. Who knows what he could have been if he had been able to devote his whole life to being a football player. But he really didn't do that. He decided as a 21-year-old to take care of his brother as his legal guardian, take care of him as ho- at home, make sure that he did his homework, did all the stuff that a 14-year-old boy needs to do to survive just so his brother can have a chance to make it in the real world outside of Baltimore, outside of the tough neighborhood they grew up in. That says a lot about Shaky Smithson as a person, and I think it's an, an interesting chapter worth remembering in Packers history. That's all I've got for you this week. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for sticking with us all off-season. We are excited to be here in year number three of the Power Sweep and Blue 58. You can find us, as you always do, at thepowersweep.com and on Facebook and on Twitter, or reach out via email at thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com. Support us if you would be so kind. Giving us a review on iTunes, it is free, it is easy, it helps more people find the show. If you'd like to take your support to another level, we encourage you to check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash thepowersweep. One dollar a month there helps us keep this podcast going. If you would like to look absolutely stylish, as I do right now wearing a Power Sweep t-shirt, you can check out our t-shirts by clicking the store link at thepowersweep.com. We do love to hear from you. Never hesitate to reach out. 
Any feedback you give us helps us make this entire operation better and helps all of us become smarter Packers fans. And as we head into the 2018 season, I will say it once again, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we are all trying to be. I am John Meerdink. I've been your host. We will see you back here next week on a football season edition of Blue 58.